got a copy of God's Word, turn with me to Psalms 5. Psalms chapter 5, as we begin to work through Psalms, we're one chapter at a time. Said last week as we find our place. Last week, chapter 4, was an evening psalm, one to be meant to use not only in our individual private worship as we go to bed, uh, but also to be corporately sung together. Now, Psalms 5 is seen as a morning psalm, one that one would read in the mornings as part of their individual, but also we see that Micah was supposed to have a flute today. I don't know what's up. You know, it says right here, to the choir master for the, for the flutes. So you need to get with it, man. You need to learn how to play that flute because the Lord knows he did not gift me for playing music. And uh, I don't know, Chris, brother, maybe you could play a flute. I don't know. <laughs> so seriously, as we, as we come together, this is God's word and is meant to be used both individually and collectively. So let's stand to our feet as we, as we read this psalm together. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgression, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. And spread your protection over them. Those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with a favor as with a shield. Let's pray together. Lord, we have gathered this day, and as we have remembered our mothers, Lord, I first want to not only give thanks for for mine and for my wife, but also acknowledge this is a painful day for many who have either lost their mother or lost the opportunity to be a mother. And so, Lord, I pray for them today. If they're here, if they're watching online, I pray that you would be their refuge and strength a very present help in their time of need. And for us, Lord, we just desire to take refuge in you today and for nothing to get in in the way of that. 
For it is our greatest desire. It is our greatest joy. And so help us today, Lord. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we honored, you can be seated. As we've honored our mothers, had just another picture of refuge as we have talked about how mothers and how they offer a place of rest and refuge and comfort and nurturing and all those things. But last night, had a bad experience. It was a, it's a terrible illustration, but it's, but it's one, so I'm going to use it. Because it, took, it, it, it cost me my whole night's sleep, and my wife's too. <laughs> Our dog started barking at about 2 o'clock in the morning, over and over and over and over. And it was all of them. It wasn't just one of them. And I've got three dogs and turned on the lights. Hope they would stop, but I had to wonder, why are they barking at me? What's out there? What are they so upset about? So, so what is me as, a, as the husband and the one who provides protection supposed to do? Go back to bed, roll over, put something on my ears? No. You know what Stephen did? I went to the gun safe. I got out my pistol. I, I got my flashlight, and I went outside. And there's your difference between mothers and fathers, and both are necessary. No matter what would have been out there, it was my responsibility to make sure my children didn't even know about it. To some degree, to a very small degree, this is what David is saying. God is my refuge. He offers me this holistic protection. So what is it? What is a refuge? Because we're not, it's not going to be the first time we talk about this because it's not the first time David talks about it and the psalmist talks about it in, in the psalms. Refuge can be defined in a couple ways. It could be said it's just provides, it is to provide a safe location or a shelter. But more clearly this morning, refuge is a condition of being safe from danger, from pursuit or trouble. And no matter whether you're ungodly or godly, no matter whether you're the wicked or the righteous, we all desire refuge. The wicked desire refuge this way, a place with no God. A place where I can just do what I want to do. This will be a place of rest. The godly say, oh, not so. The, the place of rest is, is in the presence of my sovereign Father. The closer I am to Him, the more protected I am. That's what I want. That's what I desire. You see, there is a marked difference. And so we see the realities of life for the, for the believer frustrate this. Just the regular things of life. And so this is a morning prayer in anticipation of God's presence. This psalm is supposed to be full of encouragement. My... Fear today is because we have so neglected the justice of God from the pulpits of our churches that many of us read Psalms 5 and don't, are not encouraged at all. My prayer is that it will be for us. For this prayer is not only protection from the wicked without, but from the sin within. So here's what I hope to do. I hope this psalm produces what it's designed to do is to lead us into God's presence is to help us get a deeper realization of the kingship of God over our situations in life and it's supposed to comfort us from God's disposition towards wickedness so here's what we're going to do this is couched in a prayer so we're going to look at 
This is Calcin crying out to God. But it's also based off our need. Our need of refuge from others and from ourselves. And that our refuge has a foundation. It's not our own merit. It's not our own righteousness. The covenant love of God. And, the, and then that this nature of this refuge, it looks like something when we're actually living in the refuge of God. And it also produces something. The ultimate of what we desire, that is joy. So how do we take refuge? Let's look first at verse 1. We need to cry out to the Lord. This is where, it, look at where it begins. It doesn't begin with a verbal cry. Look at it, cry, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groanings. In other words, it begins with something in here that's not a verbal prayer. It's a groaning in our guts, in our hearts. Psalms 39 verse 3 gives us another picture of that. Psalms 39 verse 3 says, My heart became hot within me as I mused the fire burned, then I spoke with my tongue. This is where this groaning begins. Our need expresses itself in an audible prayer. This is the expression of need and a cry out to someone that we believe can give us justice. This is why he's crying out to him, God, give me justice. Spurgeon, I'm going to quote him a few times, says this, words are not the essence but the garments of prayer. That our prayers begin in here. But notice who he's praying to. Our God is both sovereign, yet he's close. Verse 2, give attention to the sound of my cry. My king and my God. Why should God hear my cry, David says? Why should he hear me? Because he's my king. That's pretty, that's pretty cool when you realize he, he is a king. David's a king, and that meant something. We, we don't have many kings around here, so we struggle when we start speaking this way. David was a king. And so he said, he's my king. He's my God. How? He's his and he's ours by covenant, by promise, by blood. He is ours by the blood of Christ. David looking forward to it, us looking back on it. But make no mistake, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to see this, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. There's a promise here, and if you're not careful, you can just miss it. There's a promise of God's justice. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Now listen. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You see that promise? You're God's temple. Someone destroys you, God will destroy him. That's meant to comfort you this morning. You see, for David, God is not only the object of his worship, he's the object of his only need. It's the only person he can cry out to that can intervene and fix the situation that he's in. He's the only one that can intervene in yours as well while we pray to him. Notice in verse 3, his prayer is both intentional. It's also expectant. It says, O oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. This new morning, this new day brings new hope. Remember 1 Kings 18? Elijah and the prophets of Baal, you remember? They had this showdown. They both 
had to prepare these altars for a sacrifice. Elijah set up the stones in just a certain way, cut up his sacrifice and set it in such a way, dug a trench around there. Remember that story? This is what the picture is he's saying. I have intentionally offered up, set up, intentional my prayer before you, and now I'm watching. This is the expectancy. Remember the story? He's on that hill, and all the prophets of Baal start hollering and cutting, and he's sitting there going, guess you might be sleeping. I know what it is. Your God went to the bathroom. You probably just need to be a little patient. What was he doing? He was jiving them because of the faith in his God. And then when he prays, he prays with this unwavering faith and God hears. This is, this is what he's saying. This is the picture. It is both intentional, but it is expectant. I love this. Spurgeon said it this way. Prayer without passion is like hunting with a dead dog. That's good, isn't it? It's like hunting with a dead dog. Why would you want to offer up a prayer to your sovereign God like, like God is great, God is good, like give me thanks for my food? Do we know who we're talking to? Is there really passion in there? That's what he's saying. And he does this. He cries out to him because he knows that he needs refuge. Look at verse 4 to 6. And listen, you need to strap on your seat belts here. This is what the Bible says. And we cannot shrink back from it. It's why we preach all the way through the Bible. And we don't skip around. Because listen to what it says. Our need, he's praying from his own need. For you are not a God who delights in the wicked, verse 4, in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So his crying out to God is sitting on something. It's sitting on the character of God. What this is reflecting, God's character so his crying out is born in something. In David's understanding of the sinfulness of sin. That the only one that can stay the tide of wickedness is the Almighty. And he appeals to him based off of his character. That it is in God's character to not tolerate any wickedness next to him. So where does David want to be? You see the picture? You have God. No, God does not delight in wickedness. No, one, no wicked thing comes into His presence. So where do I want to be? I want to be with Him. This is why He's your refuge. He says that, that's what it's based in. We need refuge from two places. First, we need refuge from others. From the wicked. Remember Psalms 1, 1 and 2? I don't want to... He says, don't even, don't even abide with the wicked. Don't move in with them. This is why the Bible tells us that we don't marry unbelievers. We don't go into business with unbelievers because God tells us, don't be unequally yoked. Why? Because it's dangerous to. That's why he does. He does that as an expression of his love. He loves his children. He says, be careful. You need to know. You need to take refuge. Wisdom literature and a psalmist here. Based off of this conviction. That God hates evil in any form. And he refuses to grant 
present or future access into his presence. He hates it that much. And he hates it so much that he gives us a, he says it three times to make sure that we've got it. Verses 4 to 6, do you see it? You're not a God who takes delight in it. You hate. The Lord abhors. This is absolute hatred for evil. And yet, we just pause for a second. We say, hold on a second. Doesn't that say up here? Yep, verse 5. You hate all evildoers. And it doesn't get any better. In verse 6, it says, the Lord abhors them. Not only it says hate, it says abhors. That's deeper than hate. So hold on. I thought God hates the sin, not the sinner. And listen, before we start having an argument in our minds this morning, we need to hit the pause button and read God's word because God's word did not stutter when it says God does not delight in wickedness and he hates all evildoers. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful. And if we struggle with this this morning, we must struggle to the cross because it is the cross where God's justice and mercy meet. So serious is sin that God did not even spare His Son when He stood in our place. Lest He might seem to spare sin. Do you see that? The whole nature of atonement. Sin is not out of sight of you. It is within you. It is not simply something we do that God punishes it. We are sinful by nature and we stand in need of something this morning. He says, I need refuge from the wicked. Doesn't this, won't this make us hateful Christians? You need to listen to the whole thing here. Absolutely not. You see, David is not simply talking to them. David understands he needs refuge from himself. This is what keeps him humble. We not only need refuge from the wicked outside of us, we need refuge from the wicked inside of us, from our own sin. Listen to Spurgeon. Christ will not live in the parlor of your hearts if we entertain the devil in the cellar of our thoughts. Now, we have been talking the last couple of weeks about, about David's life and some of the grave sins that he has committed, remember? So think about this with me now. In David's life, as you, as you read verse 6 again, you destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty, and the Lord abhors the deceitful man. Has David not realized that sin took David to a place that he never thought he'd go? You remember? Let me ask you something. When David saw Bathsheba and he called over, have her brought to me, did she really have a choice? And if you think she did, you don't understand the power of kingship because when the king calls, you come. And after he'd done his kingly deed, impregnated her and she gets pregnant, he deceptively covered up by what? By bloodthirsty murder of an innocent man. You see, David remembers, that was me. 
I was the bloodthirsty. I was the deceitful man. I need refuge from the sin that's within me. My greatest desire is to dwell in the presence of God. And the greatest hindrance from that desire is the sin that's within me. And you do not have to throw out God's Word when it says that He abhors the bloodthirsty. Listen, that's why we take the Gospel to them because unless they repent, God will not simply perish, destroy the sin. He will destroy the sinner. That's why we go to Him. Because He should have destroyed me and He's shown me mercy. The basis of Our prayer is God's character, that He hates sin and He denies any sinfulness, the ability to enter into His presence. And this leads to David's cry, then remove sin from me, the sin outside of me, the sin within me. I don't want anything to get in the way of my worship. What are we going to do with this sin? This this sin in here. I need to see the David understands the foundation of his refuge. He always understands his need, and it's great. But he also understands the foundation. Look at verse 7. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in fear of you. You see that but I? That's really good. It should remind us of Joshua. Joshua 24, 15, do you remember? Promised land. God's people stand before him. And he says, listen, if y'all want to go on over here and worship the idols of this land, then you you go to it. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's what he's saying here. But I, but as for me, I'm going to enter into your house. I'm going to bow before you in your presence. How could he say that? You see the word abundance there? The abundance of? That's a contrasting word. He's making much of the wicked. The abundance of the wicked and the abundance of their sin. And he says, look at the abundance of what? His righteousness? No. Your steadfast love. That's the foundation of his refuge. It is the steadfast love of Christ. It was his covenant love. That had been placed on David. And this love was unfailing. It was unending. See how mothers reflect this? The greater you understand God. The better you can see yourself. You can't get there the other way. He said it's your steadfast love. I'm going to enter in your sanctuary. Like a child coming to his father. And at the same time. I'm coming before a holy God and I'm coming to bow out of fear of you. Both reverence and privilege. Both reverence and grace. David's confidence is in the base on the reality that his right standing and his right living come from the steadfast love of Christ. That was his foundation to enter. And so he could say, look at Psalms, back to Psalms, Psalms 24, in verse 3. Anytime you see here where it says, 
sending the heel of God, coming into Zion, entering the sanctuary. These are all pictures of David wanting to abide in God's presence. It says, who shall, verse 3, chapter 24, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Look at this in verse 6. Critical. Such is the generation of those who seek him. Who seek the face of the God of Jacob. That's the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. The righteous seek his face. They seek him. Not what he offers them. Not, not, not his stuff. Not God's stuff. We want God. So, still, what right does David, what right does, do we, if, as reading Psalms 24, to enter into God's presence? Praise the Lord. David looked forward to the gospel. We look back on it. And so let's remind ourselves of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us of not only the wicked without, but the sin within. And what had to happen so that we could have come into God's presence. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin. And once you once walked, past tense, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, that's the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of what? Wrath. Like the rest of mankind, verse 4, here it is, but God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The reason we can come, the reason we desire it, the reason we pursue, the reason we hate sin is because of the mercy of God that while we were dead in it, God made us alive by His grace. And Hebrews 10, 19 says, it was the blood of Christ that accomplished it. The wrath of God on the Son of God gave us the mercy of God. Our greatest need is refuge. The only place we can find it is in the Sovereign Father. Our greatest barrier for it is sin. Christ is the only one that bore your justice so that you might receive mercy and enter reverently and boldly into His presence. It's good news this morning. It's just full. The Bible's full of encouragement. So what does it look like then? I realize my need. I realize my foundation is Christ alone to enter in to abide. But what does it look like when I'm abiding in it? Well, it tells us. There's a lot of things it could look like. Look at verse 8. Back to Psalms 5. It says, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. You see, He guides us. That's what it looks like to dwell in the refuge of our Lord. It looks like He's, he's leading me. 
And he's leading me in something. He's leading me in righteousness. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is why there should be a threefold reality to your worship. You should worship individually and let nothing stand in its way. You should let nothing stand in your way to worship corporately with God's people. And you should let nothing stand in your way to gather with a small group and worship your God. Your life should be centered around worship. This is who we are, brothers and sisters. This is what it looks like. He guides me with His truth. He guides me with His people. He guides us with His presence. The Lord's presence with His people. This is His hope. If God guides me, I'll be safe. This is what the Bible means when it says He's the light. Psalms 27.1 The Lord is the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. And whom shall I be afraid? He says, if I'm at, with, the closer I am to, my, to the Almighty, the more protected I am, the more He guides me. And if He guides me, I'll be safe. Isn't this what gives us hope? The darkest valleys of our souls. Psalms 23, verse 3. I've heard it many times. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil. Why? Because you're with me. You see, there's nowhere in the Bible that God promises you to take you over the top of the shadow of death. He says, I'm going with you through it. And I won't leave you because I have entered into a covenant with you. I have placed my love on you. Do you see why it is so important in your marriage to to not divorce? Because we reflect our God. We are in covenant with each other and we will not leave each other. This is how we reflect our God to a watching world. Our God will not leave us. He will walk with us through anything. Because look at, the, look at Psalms 23. His name's at stake here. His name's at stake. His name's at stake in our life. And so, it looks like He guides us. But it also looks like He's going to remove obstacles. This is basically one of the key things He's praying for. He's going to remove obstacles within a way of his worship. I long to be in the presence of God, so God, I can't do anything about this wicked, these wicked people that are attacking me. Will you move them out of the way? Will you deal with them? I just want to dwell with you, and I can't. I don't have the ability, Lord, but you do. You see, his prayer is twofold. For the Lord to remove any evildoer who is an obstacle for his worship. There's a second part to his prayer. Lord, remove any sin within me that is an obstacle to my worship. Is this your hope? If the Lord will remove the sin outside of me and the sin within me, then I will go straight to the Father. And I will spend the rest of my life abiding with Him. You see, to love and protect you, God must Remove any obstacle that robs him of his glory and your joy. That means that he's got to destroy sin inside and out. That's not a pleasant experience sometimes. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? 
Proverbs 3, 5 to 8. We know that well, don't we? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your path. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn from evil. Look at this. There's a promise here. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. God promises you, if you trust Him, if you abide in Him, if you seek to remove any obstacles and be guided by His Word, that it will bring healing to your actual life. So what does it look like? It looks like being biblically guided. It looks like removing anything that stops me from living in the presence of my Savior. And here's where he's trying to get to. This is why he puts it at the end. This is about joy. This is about moving those obstacles out so that I can achieve my greatest desire. This is what David wants. This is about pleasure. Do you know that today? God desires for your ultimate pleasure. That's why he says, come to me. Come to me. This is where it's at. You can't be protected. You can't experience joy unless you're close to me. So get close to me and remove anything that gets in the way of that. This is how much God loves us. Have you ever heard that Israel has an iron dome? You ever heard anybody use that? It's pretty neat when you look at it. So what it is, is basically a missile defense system that is positioned around Israel so its people, its inhabitants, can go about life And be protected. And so if someone tries to lob a missile in there, the dome, the missile defense system, will track it and will destroy it at just the right time, at just the right place, so its people can be protected and go about life as usual. This is what God is promising us. He said, but let, look at verse 11, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice, Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. Those who love your name may exult. That means rejoice. May rejoice in who? In you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover them as with a shield. Refuge in God's presence brings real joy. It's all grace. Brings us joy in our worship. Individually, collectively, with our small community. I was watching something. I usually sometimes watch it on YouTube. Every once in a while, I'll bore the family with a PBS or one of those documentaries about World War II or something, and uh, drive them crazy. So I was, I was watching it. I was watching the liberation of France, 1944. The Allies march in France. You know, and there's thousands of people. Everybody's, yeah, you know, everybody's happy, everywhere. Because I had this sermon in my mind, I'm sitting there going, what was required for that to happen? I mean, a week before that, Hitler was robbing the French of all their joy, of all their peace. He was taking them where they didn't want to go. They were in danger. They were being pressed on from every side. And now the Allies march into France in celebration I ask you, was it not the total removal of evil? Is that not the reason, no matter what it cost, we have to get rid of this evil. Evil cannot be negotiated with. It must be destroyed. 
And listen, here's the question. Are you negotiating with sin today? You're trying to have a peace talk with the wicked in your life? David's saying, it must be destroyed, God. Cannot be negotiated with. Don't negotiate with sin in your life. It will destroy you. God loves you. He says in Psalms 125, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people forever. It's a promise. Is your life bearing witness with this? Is my life bearing evidence that I am taking refuge in the presence of God? Listen to Psalm 64.10. It says, Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in Him. Let all the upright in heart exalt, rejoice. Can I just give you two evidences today? I just want you to think about it. If the reality in my life, one we've already talked about, evidence number one is the priority of worship in your life. Is worship an all-consuming priority? Not only in your life, but listen to me. Is worship the all-consuming priority for you and other people? Do you know we're a family? We are. We're a community of faith adopted into the same family. And so our mission is to make sure that each other is present complete in Christ, not just me. That's not my job. It is our job together to labor together because Tommy's worship to me should be as important as mine. And so I have to corporately gather with him. I have to individually. We have to live in community or it will not happen. As a parent, do you long for this with your kids? That there would be a passion in their worship? If it's no priority in your life, it will be no passion in theirs. I must prioritize killing sin. Not only in my own life, but in yours. That's what people do who love each other. Is that my life bearing evidence with that? Evidence number two is in how we offer refuge to others. You see, the Bible understands this. This is rigged. The more you experience the closer you get to the Father, the more grace you experience, the more you understand what He means for you to be surrounded by His sovereign grace, the more you realize how much it costs the Son for you to experience that grace, the more you begin to swell and you begin to see a world that needs refuge. In 1939, Margaret Singer initiated what she called the Negro Project, which was a collaborative effort with other birth control agencies, where she gained influence with black ministers, planted her organization in the inner cities, and began to control what she called weeds. targeting specifically black people that she called burdens on society, that she strategically placed what she called her organization in strategic places. We call it Planned Parenthood. 
And when abortion was legalized, they commenced a wholesale genocide. Hundreds of millions. This is exactly what evil does. It seeks to destroy what the Lord has called us to protect. And listen, God hates the bloodthirsty and those who prey on the weak for profit. And listen, if we love life, we must hate that. I am not calling us to vote a certain way. I am calling us to live a certain way. I am saying that taking care of the least of these in our society is not optional for us. It is what it means to be a Christian. When we swell up under the refuge of God, it bleeds out in our desire to be the refuge for other people. And it is not optional for a believer. It is what James called pure religion. If God enraptures us in His love, shouldn't we desire to enrapture others? Can we really experience this day in and day out? And it not affect the way we live in relationship to the least of these? We have an option to be a part of that, not only through this, but I, I commend to you that for God to call us to love life means we must love all of it, from the cradle to the grave. You see, this abiding in the refuge of the Lord has very practical implications for our life, but they are life-changing. Isn't motherhood life-changing? The eternal impact we, we get the privilege of having on our own children. And God says, look out there. Look out there. There's many more who need to have refuge. You are my church, called by my name. You are my hands and my feet. Go. So Lord, our prayer is that whatever it takes to remove from me the sin that robs me of my worship, that leads to my joy, that leads to the mission of God, that leads me to rescuing those who cannot rescue themselves. Anything you have to do to remove a barrier for that, remove it, Lord God. Lord, we trust your goodness and your sovereign grace that you don't hurt your children though you discipline us. You want us to not only bring you glory, but to enjoy you now and forever. This is the reason we exist, Lord. So, Lord, will now because of the blood of Christ, because you crushed your son, you didn't crush me, but you've given us mercy, and now we are covered under the righteousness of your Lord Jesus, your, your son. Now, Lord, will you let us come into your presence? Will you receive our worship? 
Will you allow us to bring glory and honor and to enjoy you not only in these next few minutes, but as we go and as we live and as we enjoy the family that you have so graciously allowed us to have. Lord, now, may we give our lives as a living, pleasing, worshiping sacrifice to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me. Father, here I am. I know that I am frail. I tend to fade. 